Hey listeners, this is Mark Treichel. I'm doing a new intro here. So this is part two of NCUA's supervisory priority letter. Last week we talked about the first three. This week we talk about the last three and also a couple other topics. Myself, Todd Miller, and Steve Farr. Here we go. Let's, let's start back up. All right, so next up, number four, we have fraud prevention and detection. And so this is the fourth ranked out of six priorities this year. Last year, it was ninth out of 11. And back in 2018, it was sixth out of seven. So this is one of those priorities that I call occasional. There are perpetual ones that are always there, uh, like cybersecurity. There are new ones that uh, come on for the first time. We don't have any of those this year. And then there are occasional, like fraud prevention and detection. All right. So thoughts on fraud prevention and detection. Steve, what are your t- what's your take on this being here? And what's your take? I, I think the, the reason it ended up in the letter is that all the comments deal with the explanation of the new implementation of a management questionnaire. And a little further discussion on that is included in this letter. So I think it's a good heads up to credit unions. And this is something that's going to be a new part of your exam. So when you get that, in which we haven't really been able to see it, you need to look at what kind of time and resources you're going to need to put into that. Because I think that is going to be an important part of your pre-exam preparation. That's a great point. And before I opine on, on things here, Todd, what's your take on this item? Well, I think it's appropriate to put here NCUA always gets surprised by a few fraud losses. COVID created some unique environments. A lot of people were working offsite. There was a lot of government assistance. So deposits were flowing into credit unions. And when all the people are working offsite, I don't know that your internal controls systems necessarily work the way they were intended. So you probably have some situations here where opportunities for fraud were created. NCUA examiners were offsite. They're a deterrent themselves just by the fact they come in every year and they weren't here for a couple of years during COVID. Um, and when there's opportunities for fraud, it happens or often does happen. And I think some opportunities were created just because of the fallout from COVID and all this offsite working posture. So I'm sure there's a small number of undiscovered frauds out there. No doubt. No doubt. And I know as having been on site for exams, as long as the three of us were and having dealt with interesting and unique frauds, that opportunity of NCUA not being on site. Now, there are things you can measure off site, things you can do. But when you're going down the highway and you see a police car, what do you do? You slow down. Whether there's a police officer in that car or not, your brain starts thinking. You look down at the speedometer and the opportunity to contemplate potentially going over the speed limit is altered, just like when NCUA comes in, just like when your CPA comes in, or just like when your internal auditor comes in. If there's less of that, there's more opportunity. When there's more opportunity, it's just math. There is more fraud. So, And Steve, you touched on the management questionnaire a little bit, which is part of the new merit program. And offline, we've had some discussions. Under the ARIES program, there were voluminous checklists that credit union had access to under merit. It's a little bit, unfortunately, I don't, I don't know if a black box is the right approach, but until you actually have the exam, there might not be as much transparency as there was 
under the ARIES program. Any general thoughts relative to that? Do I have that right, guys? Yeah, and it came up like yesterday on NCUA's webinar. A lot of people asked for the slides. And I mean, okay, it's that slides weren't ready for it. But that new information security thing, there was a whole bunch of, I was watching the question box and we don't see all the questions, but there's quite a few questions. Can the credit unions see that stuff? With ARIES, all the exam questionnaires were publicly available and it helps credit unions understand expectations and set expectations and now you move to merit and a lot of those are not there's not a lot of questionnaires in merit just some compliance one in the interest rate risk one the interest rate risk one is publicly available i don't know about the compliance one but there's all these guides kind of a mini exam guides within merit and none of those are released to the public so where you had an exam where credit unions could actually figure out what expectations were in all these various areas, that no longer exists. Those expectations aren't out there. Credit unions don't know where to find it. So like this management questionnaire for fraud is going to take credit unions two hours or two days to fill that out. They don't know and they're not going to get it till a couple of weeks before their exam or it was promised a couple of weeks before the exam. Same with the new information security exam that comes up in the next section. They said, we have a new tool and to use internally and credits ask, hey, can we see it? And it's like, well, you'll see all the statements when your exam starts and we send it to you. So, you know, it takes away the credit union's ability to do prep work and understand expectations. So I don't necessarily understand why the agency is being less transparent about all of this and you've seen a change in their national supervision policy manual it used to be that had all the checklists and questionnaires attached to it as well and they're not there anymore you have the nspm publicly available but all the links to questionnaires and checklists they're no longer available to the public so there's kind of less transparency of what's going on with the nspm I don't know if it's intentional or NCUA is just short staffed and haven't had time to prepare this, but long story short, it just makes it harder for the credit unions to understand what's expected of them and prepare for their exams. So that makes exams more challenging when, you know, they're caught by surprise with expectations. And so I hope NCUA looks at all of what they're doing and what they're not making public and just understands that when you make this public and you set expectations, it's easier for the industry to deal with it. They might not like all those expectations, but it's better for everybody involved if they understand those expectations. And there's a noted decline in transparency from NCUA on those expectations. And that's not helpful to anybody. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a. Go ahead. I, I, I'm sorry. Interrupted. That was just my two cents. Other two people two might. Cents. Well, it's, a, it's it's more like a quarter or a dollar than two cents, and it's a really good it's a really good point. And my guess would be that it's not intentional necessarily. In most instances, maybe in some instances, it is. It's probably more of a staffing issue. But the point that NCUA, if we had clear expectations of staff, if I had clear expectations of staff, and I made those known people strive to achieve them, right? And so with, with, with it's a black box or something's missing and, you, and it creates more of a gotcha environment, 
which the lack of transparency or the lack of the checklist can actually really do for credit unions. They have to go through it once, maybe take some some bumps and bruises, have some tuition expense, if you will. And and it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. That was the one of the big pluses of Aries is all those checklists were out there so you could know they're going to ask these questions. Yes, they might might ask some others. And maybe some of those are similar to what they've asked, but share it, right? There was a desire during the webinar that it be shared. One of the things when, when NCUA does those, I know all three of us listened in to see what we could take away from it. But as they put a slide up, I'll hit my my little thing and do a, a print screen, right? So I'll see a slide because I don't know if that slide is going to be immediately available or not. NCUA should focus on having that transparency. I know that's their goal. So that's why I think it's not necessarily uh, intentional in most instances that this information isn't provided, but it should be just like the board meetings, right? They share it, they share it right at the same time. So this was staff members maybe involved for the first time and didn't really realize that it should be made public immediately. All right, enough on that for my end. All right, so number five, information security and cybersecurity. This was number two in 2022, 2021, 2020, 2019, and 2018. So not only is it perpetual, but it was perpetually number two. So the fact that it slipped to five, I think it speaks more to NCUA thinking there are serious concerns potentially in other areas and that it, while it really hasn't slipped, it's just one of the ones that survived, maybe is a better way to say it. So thoughts on information security, cybersecurity? Mine on this this one is, is you, as your credit unions, you don't want to have any doubts in the expertise in the staffing and how you're addressing cybersecurity, you need to be absolutely comfortable with what you're doing. That's uh, that's a that's a great mantra for this whole arena. It, it's you, there really is no margin for error on this, and if it goes wrong, it goes wrong quick, and it gets real expensive to fix. Todd, any thoughts from your side of things? No, it's kind of interesting. Steve and I both had information systems degrees that we earned in like 1987, and we know absolutely nothing about this area today. <laughs> well, I would say that's that's not 100% true because when we've had some conversations with clients who get long document resolutions or long examiner findings, uh, the advice that both of you give, and I think it might tie back to your your IS degree. It probably just ties back to common sense, maybe. But ask NCUA to prioritize those forty-seven things because you can pour a lot of money into cybersecurity, and it's not always necessarily good money. And the other side of that is, like Steve said, you want to have good staff and you want to button it up. But NCUA sometimes can come in with the cybersecurity. Uh, experts, and they all have a little bit of their own pet peeve. And so you can go down some rabbit holes and it can turn into, well, last year I asked you to do these 10 things, you did them. So now that you did them and have that foundation, let's do the next 10 and let's do the next 10. And there needs to be some prioritization. Obviously it's a hot topic. They have their new tool, which again, going back into this, we don't know exactly what the questions are, but you'll see it when we come in. Over time, I think that will likely get released. So yeah, it's this one a lot. This is perpetual. It'll always be there. And that that's a wrap on number five, information security and cybersecurity. So consumer financial protection, I think I mentioned earlier that this, while this is number six, this is perpetual. It's always been on the list. It's been as 
It's been as high as fourth and as low as like seventh or eighth. Todd Harper, Chairman Todd Harper, is very passionate about this. This is when you have a Democratic president, a Democrat at CFPB, and Democratic leadership at a federal financial regulator. Uh, you're going to see more emphasis on consumer financial protection. CFPB has coined the term junk fees. I had a podcast with Dan Berger of NAFQ where he spoke out about that. Just yesterday, CFPB came out saying that they're going to try and put some caps on late fees on credit cards, I believe it was, that were amazingly low. And somehow CFPB, in my view, views as that as something that's going to protect consumers. But a lot of consumers need to have the opportunity to have some flexibility there. They're seeming to want to take away from it. If you can't tell where I'm at on consumer financial protection, uh, it's very clear that I think that NCUA needs to be careful here. But I think they are going to be continually doing more and more in this arena. So I'm going to stop. Let me know your thoughts on this topic, Todd and Steve. I don't yeah, okay. All right. So this is, it's funny. Um, I've said to some clients that that examiners either really like consumer financial protection and they, they fall in love with it and they want to go down that path, or they don't like it and they like to be safety and soundness examiners. And the three of us, I think, would probably put ourselves in the safety and soundness camp and not necessarily the consumer compliance Camp. Matter of fact, when I we talk about being direct CEOs, director of special actions, when I was a problem case officer, met with my director of special actions the first time, one of the PCOs started talking about some compliance issues. And to quote the director of special action at that time, I don't give a crap about that. Are they making money? <laughs> because they needed to get more capital. So that's that's the examiner safety and soundness bent. And over time, over our careers. Consumer compliance has become more important in the real world. It's become more important politically. It's become more important at NCUA. CFPB didn't exist when we started. And it's a big issue right now. And it's particularly big because Chairman Harper is a champion of it. In my opinion, when he gets a new Democratic board member, there will be more here. Last year, he put into the letter or NCUA put into the letter that they were going to be looking at share overdrafts. And I'm trying to find something that I put on LinkedIn the other day. And so they were going to be looking more at share overdrafts and they were going to be looking at last year. They said they would look at what audits you'd done on overdrafts, what you communications you'd made with your member and that they weren't going to take exception to it in the exam. And this year they've stepped it up a notch. And this is actually one of the slides that I mentioned that I took a screenshot of and they indicated that if a credit union is over 500 million in assets. Now, this was actually a value add to that, to the podcast that NCUA did because they revealed a little bit of information. Federal credit unions over $500 million in assets. Examiners will review website advertising as it relates to share overdrafts, will review balance calculation methods, will review settlement processes, will review member statements and disclosures related to PALS 2 loans and management's actions to address unanticipated overdraft fees. Now, I don't think they're saying unanticipated overdraft fees are junk fees, but there's a lot of noise around this at CFPB, a lot of noise around it at NCUA. It has the most verbiage in the letter. So while it's six, there's more discussion on 
on consumer financial protection. And I will likely do a separate podcast with Joe Goldberg, who used to supervise this area and get his take on this. But expect NCUA to look at the overdraft program. Now, will every examiner look at it? And maybe that's something, when you were backing credit unions, guys, did you, um, and Todd, you were most recently a director of special actions. When this letter came out, would you, obviously you would go through it. You'd probably go through it with your staff at a staff meeting and kind of set some expectations. Do I, was that how you, that's how I handled it when I was back at that. Pretty much how I approached it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's nice that NCUA gives you their emphasis. They have some statutory responsibilities to enforce these consumer regs. And those regs exist because institutions out across the country didn't treat their customers or credits didn't treat their members fairly. So that's why they exist to begin with. There's a great deal of strategic risk for NCUA if they don't take care of their statutory requirements to monitor and supervise these regs well congress will find somebody else to do it and like the cfp probably better for the credit unions than everyone else to have ncua doing it who takes a very kind of light hand to most of this i do think credit unions probably on the whole do treat their members maybe more fair than some of the banks do i don't think you have some of the issues in credits that you have in for-profit banks and I just think it's nice that NCUA tells you out on a rotating basis, these are the ones we're going to be focusing at. So while I didn't really necessarily enjoy digging into some of the consumer regs when I was an examiner or PCO, I 100% understand the reason why they need to. Yeah, I'd say my experience on that is I dealt with a few institutions that got in trouble because they ignored or did a really poor job in some area of compliance and the expense of trying to fix that and the resources that it took the credit union away from their basic business was just incredible. So, you know, that is one where your tuition expense for doing it wrong is really expensive. That's really where the safety and soundness side of it comes, right? Because it can, it, you do it wrong, the costs go up, the costs go up, profitability and capital retention and all the other safety and soundness. So there is a direct link to this and safety and soundness, but it's usually when the cart goes off the rails that you find that out. So spending the money on it, doing it right is the right approach. And, and Todd, as you said, NCUA kind of alerting NCUA where they're, where they're going does establish those expectations. So getting back to those clear expectations, that's one big plus of this letter. It does kind of point where NCUA will be heading. Well, there's a couple other topics at the bottom of this. For the sake of time, CECL's on there. Credit unions are complying with CECL. It, it seems to be taking care of itself, and we're not going to go into that here too much. But the other topic that's on here is succession planning. I'll speak to that for a minute before we wrap up. But last year, NCUA proposed a succession planning rule. And I wrote a podcast, 10 Reasons, or a blog and a podcast, 10 Reasons Why I Don't Think NCUA Should Regulate uh, Succession Planning. And a couple of those reasons were that it would only apply to federal credit unions and that guidance alone would suffice. And so here it is, it's put out in guidance. And that's actually what board member Rodney Hood had suggested. And there's a few paragraphs on succession planning. They point out that they're not going to, even though the camel, they footnote the camel. And Steve, I know you like footnotes. You taught me to always see what's buried in the footnotes. 
the the footnote makes reference to the camel letter and that the camel letter says that succession planning for key management positions is something that'll be looked at they highlight it they put that footnote but they also say we're not going to be taking a look at it relative to camel and they're kind of dealing with this topic like they dealt with shared graphs last year they said hey we're looking at it we're going to study it we might do more next year this year, they're tiptoeing into succession planning as guidance because they don't have a second vote for it. When they gather this information, they may end up with a regulation on it when Chairman Todd Harper has his second Democratic vote. And oh, by the way, Rodney Hood's term is up in August. Typically, board members stick around for a year beyond that. Todd does have the political juice, in my opinion, to get things moving sooner as opposed to later. Although the board members tend to be getting along real well right now, so maybe there'll be a desire to keep uh, Rodney Hood around for a while. It usually takes a while, and it takes a while for NCUA to get on the list of the president as he has other people to appoint. So any either of you have any thoughts on succession planning before we get close to a wrap for today? We talked about earlier at the start of the podcast how you know nobody has experienced for the conditions that we're facing. And while NCUA focuses on succession planning of executive staff, I actually think it's kind of more important that credit unions think about how they're developing all their staff, not just their executive level people. You know, I always thought what separated the really good credit unions from the average credit unions is kind of the depth and quality of all those people in the middle. Not the people at the top, but all those people in the middle tended to be what separated the exceptionally well-run credit unions from an average well-run credit union. You know what? That's a great place to wrap. I 100% agree with that. And I can tell you that in the blog that I did and some of the research I did on succession planning is that you create some challenges like, okay, we're going to focus on the key executives. And you say, these six positions are key. Well, what about me in the seventh, eighth or ninth position, right? What is that? What message does that send that these positions are more important than these positions? So you create all these other cultural type issues when you create some succession plannings and you draw some bright lines. And Todd, I couldn't have said it better myself that that these the ability to have strong technical people in the important positions oftentimes is more important uh, than having having you know six good leaders that can write really good policies and 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 do the bigger picture things if you're not if you don't have the foundation in place especially in these times economically it can create more challenges than having you know having to take a little bit of time to replace a CEO or another key position all right, guys, this was fun, as always. Any any final thoughts before before we close this, this podcast up for the day? I might have a few if you indulge me for a couple of minutes. What? I'm so glad you said that because we were going to talk about, you know, since the podcast crashed, I lost my train of thought. Like I said, you know, sometimes it's, it's uh, squirrels can distract me. So let's talk a little bit about what credit unions can do relative to any of these things? Because, Todd, I know you you mentioned that you wanted to do that. All right, Todd, the floor is yours. I, I think it's not a matter of what credit unions can do. It's what credit unions need to do in this whole environment of uncertainty. It doesn't matter what kind of budget and plan they put together. It's probably not going to work out the way they plan. So it's what are they going to do in response? So I think there's some things that credit unions need to think about and really be challenged in the coming year. One of them is I think they need to go back and reassess all their strategies. What's our mission to serve our members? 
you know, what's our loan strategy going to look like? What's our deposit strategy going to look like? What's our investment strategy going to look like? How are we going to price our loans and deposits with an idea of staying fair to both members? What's our wholesale funding strategy going to look like? We mentioned it with the credit risk. They need to keep a close eye on their credit quality and monitor if there's any migration downward in that credit quality. Um, they need a look ahead focus. I think so many times credit and management teams, they go into ELCO meetings or credit committee meetings or board meetings and say they last two hours. Well, they spend an hour and a half talking about what happened in 30 minutes on what we need to do in the future. I think they need to flip that around. How we got here today isn't necessarily that important, but they probably need to spend 30 minutes looking at where we've been and an hour and a half on where we're going. And their whole reporting process needs to be built out on where are we going? Um, they need to look at all their models and scenarios and are those things really informing our decision making? I listened to a webcast not too long ago and the person used the words, it's like, what do we do when the printer stops? So you run all these reports and all these models, but then what are you going to do? And I think credit unions really need to look at what do they need to do when things aren't working out the way they planned and as conditions change, because we don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, 2022 was very volatile. It looks like 2023 could be as volatile as well. And we're in environments where most of our executive teams, they haven't dealt with this type of environment before. There's no training manual. There's no one right answer. They have to figure it out as they go and what works for them. So I really do think as executives and committee members, they need to put on their glasses and look down the road. Stop looking behind. Look ahead. Excellent. That's a short version. That's the if there's anything else you want to add, feel free to, to add it, Todd. I, I do think too, when it comes to risk, they gotta quit managing risk in silos. You got an ELCO committee that typically historically has looked at kind of your or interest rate risk and liquidity risk, maybe some of your marketing programs a little bit. And over here is a credit committee that's kind of dealt with that loan portfolio. Those functions really need to all put together the interrelationship between credit interest, liquidity risk. Those all need to be managed together. NCUA took capital off of this letter, but I think credit unions need to be in mind to where their capital position is with everything and, and manage all these risks in light of their capital positions. Steve, any last thoughts? No, I do appreciate Todd's forward-looking emphasis. Yes, me too. And, you know, previously we've spoken about the fact, and this was when they had 11 priorities there, that NCUA doesn't require enterprise risk management. But when everything is on the list, it leads you down the road of thinking that maybe it's wise to have enterprise risk management. And I think last year, Todd, you pointed out that under credit risk management, it said you needed, last year in the letter, it made reference to every type of loan you needed to have a look at, right? And it was the first time that they didn't say, okay, we're looking at concentration risk or we're looking at commercial, it was like pretty much every type of loan. And Todd, when you speak about silos, silos was an issue you had at NCUA as well. What is the exam? What does the region think? What does the Office of National Exam and Supervision think? What does 
what is consumer financial protection thinks? What does Ian thought? I think, what does the board think? And you could get into these silos and it's, and who was the office of primary interest was another big thing, right? But if you don't have enterprise risk management on top of that, you don't have a group that looks at how all these things interreact, you're going to have some potential blind spots because of the lack of the wisdom of crowds where you're pulling everybody in. And it, you made reference to rates not being dropped quick enough. You saw the loan departments wanting to get the loans out. They were like, this is great. We've never had such great loan demand. But over here, you had the funding staff going, wait a second. Now I need to start borrowing. And you, there were, you've got some CFO folks arguing with some lending folks on what makes the most sense. You have that enterprise risk management sitting on top of all this, so you don't have the silos is a great way to tackle all this. And while NCUA doesn't require enterprise risk management, it's always viewed as a positive when NCUA walks in and sees that. So guys, as always, I know this that there's a lot here to unpack and, and maybe we'll break this down into some separate podcasts as we venture through 2023 and we see what happens. I want to thank you guys for participating and I want to thank the audience for listening. I hope you'll listen again soon. And this is Mark Treichel signing off with Flying Colors.